We are continuing our series called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. We are uh, examining life in the kingdom. And uh, this series we're in has already been a challenge and an encouragement to me. I hope it has been to you as well. And what we're experiencing in this series is just understanding that whenever we become a follower of Jesus, we also become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as we live within the kingdom realm, we experience the blessing of, of life in Christ, that this is where we experience the blessed life. So last week, we did an overview of the first eight statements of the Sermon on the Mount we know as the Beatitudes. And we discovered last week that these Beatitudes were the clothing or maybe the uniform that Christ puts on us that allows the world to know that we're on Team Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to do is walk through these Beatitudes, the first four, and I want us to experience what we're going to call the uncommon satisfaction. Everyone is looking for satisfaction. In fact, just physically, there's oftentimes a need for satisfaction. So let me kind of explain to you like this. How many of you have ever come home uh, from a long day at school, college, classes, work, and you're not hungry, you're hangry? Anybody ever experienced that in the evenings? Like life got so busy, you didn't eat lunch, you didn't get your snack in or whatever it might be, or maybe you're just burning more calories than normal and you come home and you're just hangry. And so you know that dinner is going to happen in just a short while. But what you do is, is that rather than go to the kitchen and wait or get ready for dinner, you go to the pantry and you start pulling out cookies and chips and all kinds of, of junk food out of there. And maybe I'm the only one, and this is confession, and you just kind of stuff your, your face full of those type of things. Anybody ever do that before? And what happens a few minutes later is that you kind of regret it because you're like, now I kind of feel sick to my stomach because dinner's coming here and I'm, I'm kind of got the carb overload and sugar overload and, and then dinner's here and you got this meal maybe you've been looking for and now you're not even hungry for it because you kind of get, got this momentary gratification and missed out on what satisfies the most. Well, I think life can be like this at times. We end up feasting at the table of the world so much because we're trying to find some sort of sense of wholeness in our life. Uh, and we miss the reality that the meal is really found in what Christ offers me. And this is what I want us to see today. A life that truly satisfies, uh, satisfied is a life that's found in Jesus. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go through verse, verses 3 through 6. And I've challenged you uh, couple of weeks ago to memorize the first 16 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 5. How many of you are working on that? Raise your hand. I'm not going to bring you up here. Good. I'd like to see hands up in the room. Uh, and so here's what happened this week. I made this challenge and I got a text video from one of our uh, staff members, their daughter, uh, has been homesick. And so while she was sick, she leveraged her time and was working on her memorization. And she happened to memorize the, the verses that we're going to look at this morning. So I want you to turn your attention to the screen and watch how Mariah is hiding God's word in her heart. Hey, Pastor Todd. Uh, I've been homesick, but I've been working on your challenge. Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the ones who mourn, for they should be comforted. Blessed are the ones who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Ah, you guys put your hands together, and man, what a great job with that. So this is the passage we're going to be in, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. So here's going to be the challenge. I want us to say this verse together, all right? For those of you who are in panic mode right now, because you didn't raise your hand that you've been working on this, it's okay. You can look at the screen. For those of you really spiritual people who've been memorizing this, uh, you, you can close your eyes and just say it along, and this is a great way to practice. We're going to pick up in verse 3. The words will be on the screen. Uh, for those of you who need it, uh, the scripture says, blessed are the poor, say it with me out loud, everybody say it out loud, read it or memorize it, all right? All right, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, say it. Ah, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They be what? Oh, that's awesome. Some of you were reading it and you failed. I'm so disappointed right now. Um, but hey, maybe it was the mask that got you. I'll let you off the hook. All right, this morning we're going to see the life that truly satisfies, that satisfaction is found in Christ. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down for me as we jump in. I want you to write this down. Here is a, a statement that I want to give you that's going to be the umbrella that we're going to be teaching under this morning as a summary statement for us. And it's simply this. This is what I want us to see. That the posture we assume to enter into kingdom life becomes the posture of the kingdom life. The posture we assume to enter into the kingdom life is also the posture of the kingdom life. Life And so I'm going to unpack this. We're going to come back to this in the end and see how this all works out. So now we're going to walk through this uh, just verse by verse, looking at each one of these Beatitudes, the first four this morning. But here's what I want to do. As we look at each one of these postures individually, I want to make sure that we also understand how they work together in unison seamlessly so that these four postures become an overall disposition that we have in life before the Lord. So let me unpack it like this. So let's look at the first one, the poor in spirit. Say, so what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means to recognize that I am a spiritual beggar who is completely dependent upon God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, to recognize that I'm a spiritual beggar who is completely dependent upon God. The, the word poor here that Jesus uses here is a very descriptive word. In, in the Greek language, you might have a number of words that we might summarize with one word, but they have individual words for the purpose of helping us understand the type of thing they're talking about. And so there's a number of words for poor or poverty, but Jesus uses a very descriptive word here that helps us understand that when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, the word poor there is not describing someone who has little. It is describing someone who has nothing. He's not just saying, hey, this person is, he's using the, uh, the word poor here to describe someone. Man, they're having a hard time paying their bills right now. They hit a rough patch. They're in between jobs. They're having a hard time providing the necessities for their kids' school. We're not talking about that type of poor, although that is poor. What Jesus is talking about is not someone who has a little and is struggling. It's someone who has nothing and they're not going to make it unless somebody comes through. That's what Jesus is talking about here with this word poor. I'll never forget, um, I've been to the Africa in a number of mission trips, like six or seven, eight times over the past 12 or 13 years. And 
But there's one particular country that we've been to on a number of occasions, uh, Burundi. Burundi fluctuates uh, between being the fifth and the eighth poorest place in the world to live. It's the most, one of the most poverty-stricken places you can imagine. And beautiful people. God is on the move there. Um, and, and so we still have a partnership to the Roots Network or Adam and Emily Kelling there. Uh, we have guys on the ground that work with the Roots Network that we're planting churches with. But I'll never forget going there a number of times, kind of going through the different villages and just seeing the level of poverty, like the poorest places in America would be considered some of the wealthiest places there, that type of poverty. But about year three or four, I can't remember which it was, the trip three or four, I'll never forget Amabile, one of our guys there that works with Adam and Emily at the Roots Network, he says to me, he says, Pastor, tomorrow we will go see the poor people. And I'll never forget, I looked at him and I said, Amabile, like, I haven't seen anything but poor people. And the guy who lives there and understands the poverty, he looks at me with the kind of tears in his eyes. He says, you have not seen poor yet. And he was right. I'll never forget walking into the Trois village that we went to and seeing the crowds, the people destitute, poor. I mean, a level of poverty I could not adequately describe to you. Uh, These people had nothing. Not even the land that they slept on was their own. I remember walking into a hut that was about the size of, 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 of maybe half of this stage right here, maybe like this, walking in and the ceiling was about this high and it was just mud and tarps and sticks. And this was for a family of like six or seven people. And I said, what do you do when it rains? And he says, well, we stand up and we hold up the tarp until the rain stops. And then we lay back down and we go to sleep. The the, the posture and disposition of these people were heads bowed and they, they were so grateful. We brought in some shirts and some toothpaste and toothbrushes, the most valuable possession many of them have ever had in their life are the things that we left in their hands that day. That is the type of poverty that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about a depth and a level of poverty that we can't fathom or imagine. This word here is painting the picture of a beggar whose posture is this lowliness. They, they won't lift their eyes up. They, they, they're, they're, they're maybe in, in this position. He's painting the picture of them being in a position of maybe on their knees broken. And they, they won't lift their eyes up. They have nothing, no physical energy. They have no way of caring for themselves. They know that there, there's no way they're going to make it in life. And so therefore, they live in a constant state of, I don't even want to look up to the world. It's just hands out, hoping someone would step in and give them what they need. That is the word that Jesus uses right here. A poverty that declares, I'm desperate, I'm needy, I have nothing, I need someone to step in and give me because I don't have, I'm not going to make it unless someone steps in. This is what Jesus is describing. And Jesus is saying, this is the posture that citizens of the kingdom of God are to live in. A posture that understands that, God, we are spiritual beggars. This is why Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who spiritually understand that we are bankrupt before God, that we have nothing to give, and therefore we live in a disposition of desperation where our life is a constant crying out to God of going, I have nothing, I am nothing, you are everything, and I'm dependent upon you. I bring nothing to the table. I have everything to receive, and this becomes the life that we live before the Lord. 
this disposition. And can I just tell you this morning, that is the reality for all of us in this room, whether we live in that disposition or not. All of us are nothing more than spiritual beggars. Apart from Christ, we have nothing in and of ourselves of value. And notice what Jesus says here. Jesus says, blessed is the person who lives like this. Blessed is the person who this is the disposition of their life. Look what he says in verse 3, why this is blessed. Look what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, say it, is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs will be or could be or maybe. It is right now in the moment. For those who live like this, the kingdom of heaven, look at me, believer, is not something we wait until we die to get to experience. When we are poverty-stricken in our spirit and live in recognition of that, that is when we enter into the rhythm and the flow of the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to wait until we die. Why? Because when we live in this state, we get a little bit of heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven is ours, but it begins with this posture of poverty of spirit which then leads to the second beatitude we find here so you've got poor in spirit number two you have mourn blessed are those who mourn say what does he mean here when he says blessed are those who mourn it's it's basically a recognition that i am broken over my sinful condition and in need of grace I'm broken over my sinful condition and I'm in need of grace. This, this mourning flows from the recognition that we are spiritual beggars. So in this posture of being poverty-stricken spiritually and recognizing who I am before God, it breaks my heart because I recognize the sinful condition that puts me in this position. So this is not just a mourning over the general circumstances of life, but rather a brokenness over the condition of our sinful hearts. This is not merely, when he says mourning over your sin, this is not merely the recognition of sin or the acknowledgement of sin. Like, okay, God, I've sinned. Okay, God, forgive me for that thing I did. It's not talking about regret. I wish I wouldn't have done that. It's not simply an I'm sorry. And you know what I'm talking about. Our, our kids do this. How many of you ever, your kids are in there and they're fighting and you're like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it, because they don't stop it. They never stop it. And as a parent, you're like, I, I'm going to lose my mind unless they stop it, right? This is the way we live. And finally, you break, and you're just like, stop it. Say you're sorry to your sister. Sorry. Now, here's the question. Are they? What's the answer for that? No. They're sorry you're still talking. They're sorry you saw it. But there's no sorrow. Sorry comes from sorrow, anguish. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not a flash in the moment of regret or an acknowledgement or I see the consequences, therefore I wish I wouldn't have done that. He's talking about a, a depth of, of, of mourning in the soul, an anguish. It's a, it's a deep sense of grief and sorrow. This word mourn in the Greek language was often used to describe the anguish of a person's heart who has lost a loved one. It's a brokenness. 
And so what he's talking about is blessed are those who mourn. It's blessed are those who sorrow in their soul, who anguish over their sin in in a way of repenting of that sin and, and pleading for forgiveness, recognizing that, God, your grace is the only hope that I have in this moment. And here's the reality, church. Many of us don't live like this. And can I just help you? When you live in the position of poverty in spirit, it'll be really hard for you to get comfortable with sin. And this is the opposite of being comfortable with sin. This is a brokenness over it and anguish over it. Now notice what he says here. Jesus declares in this moment, he says, listen, this is what citizens of my kingdom will live like. There will be an unceasing recognition of the brokenness over sin, acknowledging, God, that those thoughts that I have are, are, are in violation to you, what you called me to do. The Lord, those words that I used were wrong, and the, 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 the motives that I have, nobody else knows it, but God, you, you know it, and it's sinful before you, and, and I'm broken over those things. And so there's this constant awareness of, yes, I am I'm, I'm, I'm covered in righteousness, but there's still sin sinfulness in me that causes me to live with a a sense of brokenness daily as I go about my day. And Jesus declares something here. Check this out. He says, you're blessed in this. Why? Because you will be comforted. The comfort he's talking about primarily here is the comfort that we find in Christ, is it not? Just think about salvation. When you come to a place of salvation, you come to the recognition, God, I'm broken and I'm sinful and my sin, like David says, is ever before you. And I'm grieved and I'm sorrowful over that. And in that moment when we are saved, what happens? We recognize that the judgment for our sin was received by Jesus and the righteousness we, we don't have is given to us by Jesus and that God clothes us and we know that though we don't deserve it, the, the, the righteousness has been given to us. Therefore, we can stand before God holy in the righteousness of Christ. And when we understand that, there is a comfort that we received. I'll never forget when I came to faith in Christ, the relief that I felt in an instant. I didn't carry the burden anymore. There was comfort. But it's also the ongoing comfort that we receive. So the, the scripture, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's not a verse for unbelievers. That's a verse for believers. That as we live in this spiritual poverty and we begin to mourn over our sin and, and, and grieve, and so God, I'm thinking these thoughts, but God, I'm going to confess this to you and I'm going to repent of this and I know that you're going to forgive me and you're going to clothe me and you're going to cleanse me and all this is going to be under the blood of Christ and in that there is comfort. We're comforted by the grace of God that's bestowed upon us in Christ. And this is what we find in that place of mourning. You see, I talk about the kids' analogy of just stop it and they say they're sorry, but there's also other times as parents, I've experienced this in my home where my kids have done something that they know they shouldn't have done. I mean, they fall into conviction. And there have been times when my kids will come to me and, and they'll just say, Daddy, I know you told us we shouldn't and I know you said this and I know this is not what, and they'll crawl up in my lap and they're just weeping and they're, they don't even say it, they're just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, don't, I didn't mean to do it. What, what do I do as a father in that moment when they're crying out to me? I wrap them up in my arms and I just say I love you I forgive you I want you to know that that, that this doesn't change anything I want you to know that there's nothing you could do to cause me to love you less 
What do I do in that moment of brokenness and mourning when my kids, I just, as a father who is sinful, I still give them comfort. How much more then does our heavenly father comfort us? You see, this, this frees us from having to run away from our Father when we sin and it allows us to run to Him because here's what He says, when you mourn over your sin, you'll be comforted, not condemned. The enemy says, don't go to the Father, He'll condemn you. Jesus says, no, 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 come to me, I'll comfort you. This is the second disposition that we live with. Here's number three, meek. So we have poor in spirit, we have mourning, now we have a meek. Now what does it mean here to be meek? It just simply means I am humbly relinquishing my will and fully submitting to God's will. Now notice how they're all flowing with one direction. They're moving, they're, they're working together. Where does this meekness come from? You see, here, here's what Jesus is saying. It's like when you, when you live with a Spiritual poverty, recognizing this is going to lead you to mourning and being broken, recognizing that grace is what you need more than anything else, which then submits you into a, a life of meekness before the Lord. Will you humble yourself before Him? The meekness that He's talking about here is simply this. It's a humble heart that is submitted and fully yielded to King Jesus. It's not just meekness before the world, although it leads to that. It's first of all a meekness before the creator of the world because that's where it all begins. This is what Matthew Henry says. He says this. He says, The meek are those who quietly submit themselves before God to His Word, to His rod, who follow direction and comply with His design. The, 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 the easiest way for me to describe what he's talking about when he says, Blessed are the meek. It's blessed are those who've come to the end of themselves and surrender. It's hands up. I give up. I'm done with me. I'm fully submitted. I've tried life my way, and it's that hands up and surrender. All I am is yours. I am done with me. And here's why this is important. Poverty of spirit leads us to mourning. When we are grieved and we mourn over our sin, here's what happens. Listen, it softens the heart so that the heart then becomes moldable by Jesus. We're able to conform to his will because mourning has cultivated this surrender to him. Are you with me? This is what Jesus is describing here. It's a true authentic brokenness over our sin that leads us to relinquishing the rights to our life because we're dependent upon him completely. And we say, I give up. You see, the reason we have a hard time with meek is because we think that meek means timidity. But meekness and timidity are not the same thing. In fact, you can be just as rebellious in timidity as any other character trait. Why? Because you fear the world and at times you fear the world more than God. So he's not talking about just becoming a timid person. He's actually even not even talking about giving up the strength that you have. Are, 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 are not being strong. The, the word meek here, check this out, it's a word that was often used in, as an agricultural term to an ox that has been broken for the use of farming. 
So when we say an ox has been broken, we're not saying they're broke. Here's what we're talking about. This animal that has all this unbelievable power to move dirt, to move the earth, just this powerful beast of an animal, when it's broke, here's what happens. Its strength is now bridled and under the control of the master. So when you put the yoke on the ox, the ox doesn't lose its power, but rather the power then of the ox becomes useful to whatever the master wants done with it so like a horse you can have a strong beautiful healthy horse that if it's a really good horse you put the bridle on it bit in its mouth and even a six-year-old can steer its direction why because its strength is submitted to the one who is holding the reins blessed are the meek blessed are those who hand the reins of their life over to king jesus This is what he is referring to here. And look what he says here. Blessed are those who do this. Blessed are the meek. Now why? For they shall inherit the earth. Now what in the world is he talking about here? You shall inherit the earth. Because some of you are like, man, I've tried this whole meek thing and I still have nothing. Maybe because that's not what he's talking about. So what is he referring to? And I I think there's a lot of thoughts on this. I'm going to give you, I think there's, there's two thoughts. One of them is predominant. The other one is there, but it's, 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 it's lesser. So I think there's this already but not yet promise that Jesus is giving. The already in that we get a little bit of it, but not yet that we don't experience the fullness of it. Let me explain what I mean. So the already is, is that we shall inherit the earth in this sense. Is that when you submit yourself under the will of King Jesus, there is a humility that he creates in your heart that produces contentment. So that you don't look at the world or God or anyone else as if you're entitled to something. I, I deserve more than I have and I need more. And there's, there's a sense of humility that says, man, my will is submitted to God. So whatever he gives me, I know is going to be enough because really what I need is him and I have him. Therefore, I'm going to walk in this trust. And so what that does, it produces a contentment in your heart that frees you from the perpetual cycle for wanting more. Therefore, guess what you get to do? You get to enjoy freely whatever God entrusts to you because you know and you recognize that I don't deserve any of it. And by the way, Jesus is my greatest possession. So you're inheriting the earth in that you're inheriting a life right now of contentment and joy that's found in Christ and Christ alone. So that's, I think, I think there, I think the, the not yet is really the emphasis Jesus is giving. And that is this, is that there's a promise still to come and the promise For those who assume this posture in Christ, here's what it is. We will inherit the earth, but not this broken down, busted up world. But there's a day coming when King Jesus is going to come and establish the fullness of his kingdom, set up his throne, and there is a day coming where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be perfect again. In fact, I believe the new heaven and new earth will even be greater than Eden. And here is what Jesus is saying, is that for those who live with this posture, who are poor in spirit, who are broken over their sin, who relinquish the rights of their life to me and walk in my will, here's what you need to know. The promise is there's a day coming when this new heaven and this new earth will be ours. So we might have nothing this side of eternity, but what is going to be ours is the perfection of the glory of the kingdom of God when it makes all things new. I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says this. He says, moreover, 
One day, he, now when he says he here, this is a reference to you and me, all of us who are disciples. He says, moreover, one day he will come into the fullness of his inheritance when he will find the beatitude fulfilled most literally. I love this. 50 billion trillion years into eternity, if I may speak in terms of time, God's people will still be rejoicing that this beatitude is literally true. In a new heaven and earth, they will be grateful that by grace they learned to be meek during their initial three score years and ten. I love this. In this little vapor of a moment we call life, no matter how old you are, or how young you are, or whatever you think your longevity is going to be, it's a vapor. And to put it in his words, 50 billion trillion years from now, you will be living in the inheritance of the new heaven and new earth, and you will be so grateful that by God's grace and the work of his Holy Spirit, he helped you understand this very difficult beatitude, which is the full submission to the will of God. And then that day, you forever will be able to rejoice in the grace of God that led you to this place. This is the promise that we have. This moves us, though, to our fourth beatitude. Our fourth beatitude which is where all of this comes together, and that is hunger and thirst for righteousness. Poor in spirit, we mourn, meek, and now we hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? It simply means I am desperate for the life of Jesus to satisfy me. I'm desperate for the life of Jesus to satisfy me. Look what he says here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now check this out. For they shall be, say it again, satisfied. There's an uncommon satisfaction on the back end of this. There's a satisfaction that Jesus wants us to experience. So what does Jesus mean when he says hunger and thirst? So Jesus in this moment is using a metaphor that few of us in this room can really comprehend. But unfortunately, many people in Jesus's audience lived as a reality in their life, and that is one of hungering and thirsting. Now, when my kids say they're starving, what does that mean? Somebody tell me. It means they're hungry and they haven't eaten in two hours. That's what they mean, right? So when we say we're thirsty, what we're saying is, is that I'm hot. I haven't had a drink in a while. Pass me a bottle of water. Problem solved. But when he's talking about hungering and thirsting here, he's describing a starvation or a famine or a drought that depletes the body of its basic nutrients to the point of which if we don't get sustenance, we're going to die. In the Old Testament, this was a picture you got often because of some of the things that God's people went through. There was a famine in 2 Kings chapter 6 that was so devastating to God's people, and I don't want to gross you out, but literally the, the story talks about how mothers were cannibalizing their children because the starvation was so great. They were so hungry that animal waste was being sold at an inflated price for food. Now that's being hungry. That's a level of starvation and, 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 and hunger that we can't imagine, right? 
But throughout the Old Testament, this metaphor is used, King David uses this a lot, this idea of being hungry and thirsty for the, for the Lord is the picture of someone whose posture in life, whose disposition is realizing, man, spiritually speaking, they're craving for Jesus. They're craving for God. They're spiritually hungry for God's presence or for Him to move in their life in a mighty way recognizing that just like my body needs water and it needs food to survive, God, I need you to survive. This is what Jesus is describing here in this passage of Scripture. And he's saying that the disciple of Jesus, listen to this, will live a life of desperate spiritual craving, listen to this, for righteousness. And say, what is righteousness? I'm going to give you a a non-academic definition, but I believe everybody in the academic world will probably agree with this definition. What is righteousness? It's simply put, it's the perfect life of Jesus. It's the perfect life of Jesus. It's life according to God's design. Life as God intended it. It's the perfect life of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are those who live with an ongoing desperation for my life to become your life. This is what it means to to live with this constant state of awareness that I need more of you. There should be in our life, believers, a deep craving for the life of Jesus to be a reality in us. This should become our greatest desire that we want more than food for our body, more than water for our body. We want Jesus in our soul so that we can feast on him and know him and his life become our life. And we don't do this, listen, out of duty, but out of delight. We feast on Jesus because we know that in him he satisfies more than the world. You don't go uh, becoming uh, one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because the pastor says you should. I read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, this is what we're supposed to do. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to figure out how I can hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen, this is something that happens in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not out of a sense of responsibility or duty, but a sense of joy and delight because you know in Christ you find the life that satisfies most. This is what Jesus is talking about. And notice Jesus' promise. Jesus says, and when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for my life to become your life, you will be, what's the word? Satisfied. But not satisfied in a way where you eat it and you walk away. It's where you're satisfied in that you eat it and you drink it and then you want to come back for more. I was introduced to a plate of food. My wife and I are in this little bit of a, a, a season of trying to eat a more healthy uh, diet. COVID has been terrible for our family in regards to our physical well-being. And so we've been trying to uh, eat better meals. And so you know what it's like when you're trying to shift from eating just the, the food you've been eating to get a little healthier. It's hard to find meals that you enjoy because you love the flavors and you want to actually be full, but you, you want to manage the right. So we've been searching for this. The other day I went to lunch with a buddy of mine and uh, I told him what we were doing. He says, you got to order this. So he, he, we had a restaurant. He, every time I go there with him, he gets that. I've never tried it. I tried it, and it was amazing. I'm talking about, like, I left going, oh, now that's a meal. That was amazing. And it was like, you know, just a few hundred calories right in the window of what we wanted as far as the type of food. And so let me confess to you, I've had that meal three times this week now. He introduced it to me on Wednesday. 
so Wednesday for lunch, I had it, and I had a meeting that evening that we had to bring some food in for the meeting. And, and so I was like, I want this, I want this food. I, had, I, want this, I, want, I had the same meal again for dinner. Uh, Friday, I took my wife on a little lunch date. Guess where we went? We went there, and we had the same meal again. Because something had, like that meal was so good. It satisfied, but it satisfied me in a way that made me want to come and eat more of it. To have it again and to have it again. And guess what? Next week, I'll probably have that meal again. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, there is this, this, this craving that we get when we feast on Jesus that causes us to be hungry for more of him. And therefore, the disposition of the life of a believer is what? It's one of a perpetual suit of, I want more of Jesus and more of Jesus and more of Jesus, more of his life become my life, more of his righteousness to be in my life and lived out of my life. This is the disposition and a posture of citizen kingdom people. So here's the question. What causes this craving? What causes this appetite to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because let's be honest, some of you in this room, this is not your life. And to be honest with you, oftentimes it's not my life. And this is where I want us to make sure that we understand something about these four Beatitudes. I want to go back to this screen. Look at this. I'm going to tell you, this, is, this posture that we're talking about, this disposition, these various postures, listen, are not steps that we take hopefully to get here. I'm poor in spirit. I'm nailing it now. i got to work on morning. I'm almost there. Kind of cold-hearted. It's going to be slow. Now I am meek. Look at me. I've made it. I'm hungry. It's not it. Just see this. Put a circle around it. This is what I want you to see. These are not steps that we take in order to get to the ultimate place that we want to be. This is the holistic disposition that if you remove any one of these, you have none of them. You see, these aren't something that we're stair-stepping, but by by the power of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, these, these postures become the disposition of our life. Because they flow together when I'm poor in spirit and I recognize I'm bankrupt before the Lord. Guess what's going to happen is that I'm going to mourn over my sin. And as I'm mourning over my sin, what's happening in my heart is I'm submitting to God's will. And as I'm submitting to God's will, I'm going, God, you're what I need. And this becomes the life that I live every single day. It's the disposition of a kingdom citizen. It's the way in which we live. Now, I want you to remember what I said at the very beginning of the sermon, the phrase that I told you this is going to be the umbrella, and this is where I want to kind of make sure we unpack this as we land the plane. I want you to hear this say this. Look at that, go back to that statement. Hear the statement again. The posture we assume to enter into the kingdom life becomes the posture of the kingdom life. So when we think about, look at these steps with a circle around it, when we think about this statement and see the picture that we have, this here is the disposition that we must assume in order to be saved. When a person comes into right relationship with God, this is the posture that we must assume in our life. This is where it all begins for us. You see, this is also the life of 
the kingdom citizen, but it starts with an initial salvation. And this is the disposition that enables us to be in the position whereby we experience the salvation that God wants to give us. It begins with being poor in spirit to recognize that we have nothing, that I I don't have anything to offer you, God. I don't have any good works that I can lift up to you. It's this poverty of spirit. And listen to me, church. Hear me say this. The number one reason many, maybe in this room or on this campus this Sunday, will miss heaven will be because of our refusal to acknowledge that we are spiritually bankrupt. No matter how good we are, So many people will miss heaven and they will miss heaven because of a refusal to acknowledge that I don't have anything to offer. My best efforts on my best day is filthy rag before a holy God. This is why Jesus says, listen to this, when he says about the rich young ruler, it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Was he picking on rich people? Because all of us categorically in the audience of Jesus would be considered rich people. What is Jesus saying? No, no, no. It's hard for those who think they have everything to recognize that they're a spiritual beggar. It's hard for people who believe that they have the life at their fingertips to come to the place of brokenness where they recognize, I am nothing, I have nothing. It's difficult. It's hard for a religious person. Why? Because we come to God with our morals and our good behavior. And I went on this mission trip and I gave this amount of money to this organization. And we come in and we hold up all the spiritual currency to God and we don't realize we're playing with phony money. We have nothing Poverty of spirit is where it all begins for us. Hear me say this. Listen to me. Listen. For many, listen, it will not be their moral failure, their addiction, their unethical practices that will keep them from heaven. It will be the self-righteousness and self-reliance and self-effort that will keep many people from experiencing heaven. Did you hear me say this? Listen to me. Hell will be filled with good people. Absolutely filled. Poverty of spirit is where all this begins. It's coming to the end of ourself where we By the Holy Spirit, we we recognize, God, I have nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing to give. I have nothing. Everything that I do that I think is good is even sinful because I know my own heart. So, God, I'm acknowledging I'm a beggar. I am in need of your presence in my life. I'm broken over my sin. I know my sin, as David said, is ever before you. And, and God, I'm in I'm need of your grace. And so, Lord, I'm surrendering, surrendering myself, your, your will above mine. And I relinquish the rights of my life because I need Jesus' righteousness to save me. His death and resurrection is my only hope forever, even knowing you. Listen, this is the posture. This is the disposition where we experience salvation. Listen, and there is no salvation apart from this disposition. 
And then God in his grace and mercy. See, this happens simultaneously. I'll never forget 27 years ago this October, this was my disposition on a Friday night church service. And simultaneously, in an instant, I didn't go through steps. In an instant, there's poverty-stricken spirit of acknowledging who I am. I'm grieving over my sin and asking God his, to take over my life and telling him all I needed was Jesus to cover me. And in an instant, I was made into a new creation. It was this posture that enabled me to experience the salvation, the grace, and mercy of God. But here is the thing that Jesus wants us to see. That this same posture that I, I assume to enter into the kingdom now becomes the posture that I live in now. I never get up. This is the Christian life. It's not, I did it, so let me just kind of get back to life. No, no, no. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, the ongoing work, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So now, as a believer, I'm living my life, and I'm going, God, I'm still poverty-stricken. Now, I'm adopted as yours, but God, I bring nothing to the table. I have nothing to give, nothing to offer. I'm desperate for you. And God, these, this thing that's happening in my life, I, I know that there is sin. I know that there are thoughts that I have, even as a follower of yours. And God, I'm not okay with that. I'm uncomfortable with sin in my life, and therefore, God, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you, confessing to you. I need more of Jesus to take over my life. I need more of his righteousness. The, the righteousness that you gave me at salvation, Jesus, would you make that righteousness alive in me as I live? And this becomes the disposition. A citizen of the kingdom. Let, let these sinful things be taken out. God, I want to submit myself to you a hundred times today because I'm desperate for Jesus. You see, the reality is this. To hunger and thirst. What does it mean to be hungry and thirsty? To simply recognize the absence of what you need. So if I'm not living a life that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for more of Christ in my life, then I've got to ask some questions. What am I propping myself up with that causes me to think that I don't need it? What is it that I think is in the account that is worthless but I'm trusting in? What sin in my life am I getting comfortable with being there? Whose will am I pursuing in my choices and the decisions that I make? What am I feasting on in this world that's dulling my appetite for Jesus? Posture. Our disposition. Say, what does this look like? Very simple verse. Very simple verse. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story that scribes beautifully what this looks like. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You know, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, and that tax collector back over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But then there's another man in the room and he 
you won't even go to the front. But a tax collector, standing far off, felt unworthy to be any closer, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, poor, mourning, meek, hungry. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, righteous. Listen to this, satisfied. Why? Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So two simple questions. Number one, maybe you're here this morning and you didn't answer this question. Have I assumed the posture to enter into the kingdom? Have I experienced salvation? You've trusted in Christ. Has it ever come to your life where you go, nothing without him? If it hasn't, then today is the day for you to experience these four postures and this disposition of desperation and experience salvation and the righteousness of Christ. So that's the call today for you. And then others of you, here's the question. If you have, is this the disposition you're living in right now? Is this the disposition you're living in? So here's what we're going to do. I want to take a few moments and just pray. We're going to worship. And for those of you who need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to call you. Get out of your seat. Be poor in spirit. Be done with your pride and things that would keep you away. Some of you prayed to receive Christ a few weeks ago, and you've yet to tell someone because you're embarrassed of that. Listen, today, let the poverty of spirit overwhelm you so that you can come and tell somebody, man, I have entered into the kingdom through King Jesus. Leave your seat. Come to one of our encouragers. And for those of you who have, you know Christ. Wrestle with that second question. Father, I love you, and I pray now in the name of Jesus you will move in this place. When we are desperate for you, help us to know that in Jesus' holy name.